This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. of radio. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the King of England. Yes, hello, hello, yes, hello. Good to see you all. Yes, hello. Oh, hello, Brendan. Hello, Jason. It's good to see you all. Oh, hello once again. You're, you're becoming yes. quite a fixture on this uh, on this podcast. Well, you know, it's, it's something. You know, I've, I've, Since I've become king, I've found that I've had quite a lot of free time. I never expected such. Mommy always seemed like she was so busy, but I think she was just hiding out, smoking and drinking. You know? mm. Yes, that's why she lives so long, you see. That's what they don't tell the poor people. If you continue to smoke and drink at excessive levels, you will live forever. Well, I mean, Oliver Reed lived a pretty long absolutely, life, did he? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And the only reason he died was because of that uh, that uh, uh, Arabian uh, uh, bar he was in. Yes, the entire building killed him. Okay, well, this is uh, veering uh, dangerously into race, uh, race, racial subjects. So I'm just going to change the subject. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Look, I, your, your, your Majesty, uh, this is our, our last uh, movie on the British list. Yes. So I, I understand you probably here to deliver a, 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 a message of solidarity, a finality, of uh, invocation, as it were. I'm, I'm here to bless your podcast, as I am the head of the church. Which means I can do that. And Northern so, Ireland. Bless, bless, and Northern Ireland. The Church of Northern Ireland? Yes. <laughs> it's the Catholics. I don't think so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so not a Catholic. You know, we had a whole war about that, you see. Oh, okay. Do you remember Sir Thomas More? Yes, he was uh, He was played beautifully by the actor that played him. That yes, oh, that actor. A, uh, he came Bosco to Buckingham Fol- Palace once, you see. Bosco Flats? <laughs> no, not, not, not Bosco Flats. Uh, uh, Paul Schofield. Paul Schofield, yes. What a bad. What you a saying bad. that Paul Schofield came by the Palace or Thomas More? Uh, well, Thomas More's quite dead, but Thomas, yes, Thomas Schofield did come by the Palace. Thomas and Schofield, I have to say, okay. Thomas Schofield had the firmest buttocks I'd ever seen. Hmm. Yes, it was quite impressive. I, I don't know why. But anyways, the point is, Brendan and Jason, my subjects, as I'm here to invoke your podcast, it is your last episode of this list, The Empire List, uh, which I feel I have some hand in, as I am the physical representation of the modern-day empire. I know it's not PC to call it empire anymore, but I, I'm an old-school sort of fellow. Uh, so I wish you the best. I, I'm glad you're doing Oh, What a Lovely War. It was one of my favorites as a boy. 
and uh, I expect that you will uphold the greatest tradition of the British Empire and my mummy. So, I guess that's it. I'm going out to my Rolls Royce. I'm going to spin up a dube. And then me and Cammy are going down to the beach for a while. So I will talk to you later, Brendan. Talk to you later, Jason. God save me. Bye-bye. Charles! Charles, I've got a real big fat one rolled. Oh, I can't wait to get stoned, Cammy. Oh, I've already started. There's lots of, lots of colors and shapes. <laughs> Take us away, driver. Wow, we've really got to get some soundproofing in here. We can hear him out <laughs> on the street. We Literally, they were they were down on the corner, and yeah. we could hear them clear as day. Yeah, no. Jim, can you see about getting some sound baffling? Oh, 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 oh. Thanks, Jim. What does, that, wait, what does that even mean? That's just... That, I, look, he's like Chewy sometimes. You, you just know what he says. Man... That was that was uh, that was a missed opportunity in casting if I've ever heard it. <laughs> I, I that would have made Star Wars a million times better. Can you imagine Alec Guinness and Jimmy Stewart? Can you imagine every time? Yeah, because <laughs> cl- yeah, Star Wars that classic partnership of Obi Wan Kenobi and Chewbacca <laughs> happened so much. They love it. They're, they're um, such a great team. No, I, I can you imagine? It's like all the like Chewbacca grunts and groans were just yeah. like. It just sounds like Jimmy having an orgasm every time. Oh. That's exactly what I sound like, fellas. Oh, wow. I figured, okay. yeah. He's still here. Um, okay. Jason, you're Jason. And you're Brendan. I am. That's true. We can confirm this is not a George Santos situation. We are no. who we say we are. And this is a podcast, and it's called For Screen. And Jason, what in the heck do we do? Well, if we wanted to boil it down to a few words, we watch movies. And specifically... Of the British variety. Now, if we want to get a little more, you know, uh, 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 you know, if we want to get a little more in depth about it, we watch uh, movies on lists. And in this case, uh, we watched a BFI list way back, and now mm. we're watching the Empire list. At least all the movies on the Empire list we have not currently already watched. In a quest, Brendan, to determine what the best hundred British movies of all time are for the time being. Would you say that the list is good and that the list is life? I would say that uh, uh, what is good in life is the list. Okay, okay. Um, and this is a big, this is a big, big uh, occasion here, Jason, because this is the last movie on the Empire Top 100 British movies of all British time in the British year of whenever this list was made. That's right, Brendan. And what a better way to go out than with a 60s musical. <laughs> a wartime musical That's released right. in 1969. Up top. With, with uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, with all kinds, with, I would say, um, I joked with this to someone else actually the other day, it's like starring the four screen and country all-stars, so yeah, essentially. Yeah, really, yes. In, in various Roll sizes, but yes. but you know they're all they're all they're here. All there. The gang's all here. <laughs> um, if only Julie Christie were in this movie. Oh, I know, right? Come we on. haven't talked about her in long enough. So I know. Sh- surely she's not in any of the war movies we're going to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But Jason, this is uh, our, our last one on the uh, and the Empire list. Like I said, it's number ninety eight on that list, so mm-hmm. they got it right under the radar. And I'm just going to quickly go through some of the people in this movie. And I'm not going to say all the parts they play and go through all that because there's so many of them. Yeah. And, again, some of these people show up for a cup of coffee. Some it's of a- them are leads. Some of them, 
it's across it's all across the board i mean really this is a world war one movie so you could say there's a cast of millions there is a cast of millions jason we've got <clears throat> deep breath ex- inhale exhale ian holm yeah edward fox that's our guy dirk bogard oh yeah uh john gilgood sure classic jack hawkins in a silent role kenneth moore that guy lawrence olivier yeah that guy who i never recognize in anything because he's so <laughs> generic looking that i never realize who he is till after the fact michael and vanessa redgrave the redgraves ralph richardson susanna york Susie, john mills hey millie boy and last but not least and i'm sure i'm leaving someone out but last but not least maggie smith Yes. Very briefly doing a seductive uh, music hall performance. And Jason, on top of all that, directed by, in his directorial debut, Richard Attenborough. Surprisingly, he doesn't show up in the movie. I don't know if Dickie was the kind of guy to show up in the movies he directed or not, but uh, he's not in this one. Well, you don't remember how when he directed Gandhi, he cast himself (laughs) in the lead role? I wish. That would have been fantastic. I mean, like, I mean, hey, Alec he could have done do it. it. I can do it. If the movie had been made 20 years before, I bet you that would have happened. <laughs> Wait, uh, Jason, there was a movie that came out after Gandhi that still did that. It's called The Passage to India. Right. Well, I mean, that was David <laughs> Lean's thing. Why employ people of color? <laughs> Why bother? Right. And he's like, listen, I already put Omar Sharif in a movie. What more do you want from me? Look, I got my, I did my thing. I got checked it off my list. Leave me alone. I did my token casting. Yeah. <laughs> That's enough. He's Egyptian. Close enough. Is basically, Close enough. Those are David Lean's words, folks, not yeah. ours. Uh, we believe in <laughs> diversity casting. That's right. So yeah, this there's there's a lot of people in this movie. It's a it's a long movie. It's about two hours and I don't know two hours and twenty five minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, Jason, I, I I will I'll say right off the bat, I had no I had never heard of this movie before. No, me neither. Surprisingly, and I'm kind of a war movie guy, not a huge musical guy. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I I never heard of this. Uh, maybe in passing, but. Had no like literally. I thought this was a World War II musical before we even watched it, and then immediately it was like, okay, no, it's World War One. This I guess makes more sense. It's harder. It's harder to sing Johnny songs about World War Two. Well, I was gonna say, I feel like even though the movie, and we'll get into it, of course, even though the movie is jovial on the surface, but not jovial oh, if no. you actually <laughs> watch the movie and and pay attention to what's if, happening. If you pay attention, it would and be... know the history. There's a lot of horror running under this entire movie. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, even even with that going on, I feel like it, if you did it with World War II, it's a lot harder to pull that off. Yeah, yeah. What I do appreciate, though, is that this we're isn't... running with the Nazis. The <laughs> Fancy and fun and free. Nazi, 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 a friend to you and me. <laughs> well, what's, well, I mean, hey, Springtime for Hitler, classic musical from World War II. And, um, again, and in Springtime for Hitler, noted very serious song. Very serious musical. Um, yeah, but this, this isn't a musical in the traditional sense of a play that then has songs composed for it. Uh, this musical, uh, according to the beginning of the movie, uh, is all actual songs from the era, stuff that the soldiers did sing, uh, including we, we hear a long way to Tipperary. Uh, we hear one of my favorites, Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag, mm-hmm. uh, and plenty of other uh, uh, songs of the era. So it, it's authentic in that way. This is an interesting thing. So this came out in 1969. So if you do the math, World War II, or sorry, World War One, <laughs> World War One ended in 1918. So that's like 51 50 years. years, 50 yeah. years or thereabouts. So you have to figure that 
it's a bit of a nostalgic piece because the people that would have fought or been alive during World War One would be in their like if they were kids, they'd probably be in their sixties, and if they were fighting, they'd be in their seventies and eighties at that time. Um, so it's definitely a nostalgic piece, and I think it's. I wonder if it's a reflection of the time in Britain, because I don't think 1969 was a particularly happy time in Britain, that maybe it was trying to reach back and and capture the spirit of that era. Like, <laughs> it's interesting watching this movie because I find it starts to drag in the second half. And that's almost, in my mind, intentional because that's the war in a lot of ways, in the sense that the war started off so bright, so chipper, so vibrant. Songs were being sung. Men were lining up. It was patriotism. It was flags. It was just, it was excitement. You know, a lot of these young guys, this was like their way to get out of their hometowns to see the world. They're going to war. It's like a camping trip. It's like the best camping trip in the world, right? And then they get there and the war kicks off and it's not so great, but it's at least it's a war. It's a damn war. They're moving. They're fighting. They're outflanking each other in early 14, you know, or mid 14 when the war starts. Right. And they begin what they call the race to the sea. But once they get to the sea, what happens? That's when trench warfare starts. And that's when things start to drag because the war becomes a grinding uh, uh, war of attrition. Mm-hmm. At that point of of body and blood and men and lives and and material sacrificed for, you know, gains measured in yards. As as the great Norm Macdonald would say, many men walking through blood and bone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, to get to was, their brother. It was it was such a because you know it, it's. It's still cliche, but everybody thought the war was going to be over soon. Nobody thought this thing was going to last. I mean, Europe had been kind of in this balance of power for so long, you know, through the Belle Epoque in the 1890s, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then nobody, nobody ever thought that this thing would actually happen, even though we as people with hindsight can look back and say, oh, no, it's pretty clear it was going to happen, that something was going to happen. There was yeah. a lot of tension, but nobody thought it was going to go to this level. And so... We ended up with this massive, horrifying industrial war that just destroyed people and land. And now we have a jaunty musical about it. Well, again, like like we kind (laughs) of said at the beginning, a jaunty musical on the surface. But certainly Richard Attenborough knows what he's doing here. He's not not saying that this is a – this is not a pro-war movie. I actually messaged you the other day and said, is there a lot of pro-war movies? I think you said the Green Berets with John Wayne might be like the one. I mean, and there there definitely are pro-war movies. Pro-patriotism, I guess. Pro-patriotism movies that that, uh, uh, glorify a conflict and elevated soldiers. But even even when you watch a movie like – even a movie like, and it's a flawed movie in other ways, but even a movie like American Sniper, which you could tell is patriotic uh, in its depiction of, of soldiers, still does not depict war as a good thing. It no, still it's, it still it's, depicts PTSD and problems that people yeah. have following these events. It's so, a brutal existence, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's I don't think it's a common thing to... to show and that's why i think this that's why i think that aspect works so well in this movie is because they're they're being so ridiculously in favor of the war like everybody in this movie uh, less so as the movie goes on Mm -hmm. but um still keeping up that jaunty jovial tune um telling the audience like clearly we're not we're being we're being uh, sarcastic, like we're, we're yeah. winking at you the whole time. It's sarcastic, but it's also embodying the British stiff upper lip thing. Like we're going to get through this. We got to we got to well, yeah. put our heads down. We got to if we got to sing a song, we'll do it to get through the grief and the pain and and achieve the objective. But like if this movie was stri- was exactly the way it is and not yeah. meant to be um, uh, not meant to be satire, 
Uh, I feel like this is the movie that the British government would write would write for the soldiers <laughs> to tell them like everything's gonna be great, you're gonna love it. War is a blast. Yeah. Bring your family. And have a thing, picnic. Like, with pro-war movies, you more often seem to see them during conflicts, and oftentimes they're not oh, like they're we, more metaphors. The best we, example, of course, is Henry V. I mean, we we've done one on this show that ha- that was released during World War II, and that was in which yes. we serve. Yeah, and you could argue even that then, that is a piece of propaganda to some extent because it doesn't show the full horrors, but it does, well, you know, it does show some of that. It does show some of that. More, it doesn't more it than d- we expected for sure. Certainly, it it certainly shows, and I think that has a lot to do with you know the people that that made it, not necessarily wanting to do, not necessarily doing exactly what the studio wanted them to do, yeah. but it did show. Um, you know the the struggles of leaving your family at home. Maybe not so much like PTSD, and not that we really knew a whole lot about that back then, anyway. But the, but more so like the separation of you know from wife and kids and all that stuff, and not knowing what's going to happen and yeah, things like that. So so even it's so basically what I'm saying is it's rare. It's rare yeah. to you'd get something like this, but straightforward telling you no, it's a fucking great time. People fucking yeah. love going to war. It's it's a blast. <laughs> Yeah, and it's because movies like that often suck. That's why. That's why uh, the the right uh, right wing people like to say the left can't meme. Well, the right can't actually make anything of interest. <laughs> you know what? I would rather, and even if that was true, I'd rather not be able to meme than be a horrible yeah. racist scumbag. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like, have you seen like uh, think about like those Daily Wire movies or the like, Christian movies? Like, have you ever seen one that has stood out as good? No, no. And that's I the mean, thing. The that doesn't first... mean it can't be. It doesn't mean it. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's hard though because yeah. you gotta because if you have if your movie's core point is something that is unequivocally, unequivocally, what however you say that, is yeah. so obviously false. Yeah, it's hard to like make the rest of the movie work. And I'm not talking about like just someone's opinion. There are th- th- hey. a lot of Christian movies. Sorry, guys, people yeah. who love. No offense to people that are Christian yeah. at all, but some of those movies. They have such a, a a weird message at their core that it's just it's just you can't wrap your mind around the movie. Like the logical no. points don't make any yeah, sense. No, it, you you have to kind of be in that faith space to buy the <laughs> buy the ridiculous premise of something like a God's not dead, and just go with it. You know, and whereas a a person of a you know with a basic rational mind might look at that and say this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> This is well, this is like religion itself. It's not about it's not about discovery. It's about having a destination in mind and finding the path. Well, I mean, a lot of times too. You, you mentioned that, but a lot of times too, people that are actually Christian or whatever, yeah. or actually have similar opinions to movies like that, will also say, "No, that movie is terrible." <laughs> like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Actually, part of the problem is they don't have enough money. If they had more money, yeah, in these movies, they could hire talented people to do them because there's a lot of people that you know would. If if you pay enough, they don't give a shit about the politics. They'll make you, you a movie. You know what? At the same time, I'm kind, I'm I'm kind of okay that those movies are not doing oh, yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine by me. I just mean like like you yeah. think about something like a Tom Clancy. Like Tom Clancy is uh, the last thing you would describe Tom Clancy's work is as progressive. Uh, it's extreme right wing rank wankery, and but it is great when it works. Mm-hmm. And there have been some good movies made of Tom Clancy's stuff because it's been made by talented people <laughs> and w- who don't dwell maybe so much on the politics as he does. Well, they, they, the politics is wrapped up in the very nature of the the story, so it's like there's yeah. no explicit politics, but it's like it's a Tom Clancy story, so it's all it's all right wing jerk off stuff. But great when done well. So that's a lot of meat and potatoes to get you into this movie. That has nothing to do with this movie. That's well, just, I mean, that's I just something I needed to, to say. I think it. I think it all has to do with this movie, honestly, in, in some ways. Um, but Jason, this movie is 
very interesting in yes. its style um, is that it's not it. I read uh, I read a review. Now, Siskel and Ebert loved this movie. Yes. Um, they both gave it like a perfect score. And I read a review from Ebert that said to approach this as a movie is the wrong move. It's yeah. like it's it's kind of a tableau mm. of history. It's like this is World War One, and we're going to yeah. show it to you in bits, like represented through these through these bits, through these songs, and it's going to be done in a way that's almost like it's almost surreal at times. Like there it are moments, is. like the whole opening scene is you yeah. have all these people from different, all these leaders from different countries, right? They're yeah. all represented by someone. There are some famous people in the scene, like you said. I believe this is the scene where. Uh, Jack Hawkins is in that he has no lines. <laughs> yeah, he's playing Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria. Yeah, so they're all like in this scene, and as you can see, they're in this pure white like castle, mm. and they're all standing in on the floor, and on the floor is like a giant map of Europe, and yeah. throughout the scene, they're moving around like kind of mimicking where the allegiances would would change throughout mm. World War One, or where you know where the front would move or whatever, and it's just it's it's. I'm watching this opening scene and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm in store for because this is yeah. such a unique thing. I yeah. thought this was just like a guy goes to war. He yeah. starts singing with his guys. People die. There's tragedy. There's some uplifting stuff. Like I thought well, this was A to B just straightforward. I'm not sure. This, I assume, was a stage show before the film? It was, yes. Yeah, so this this clearly is replicating what was done in the show where you're using a more metaphorical kind of – uh, portrayal, because you know, at the beginning of World War One, yeah, no, everybody wasn't in the same room, but they all had been in the same room at various times, right? But they probably not all... in this giant white castle. No, no, no. But but <laughs> no, it's, not it's, the restaurant. It, it's a metaphor for their relationships because the the monarchies of Europe in World War One, they all knew each other. Obviously, mm -hmm. they all, um, many of them were related. King George. Kaiser Wilhelm and Nicholas II were all cousins. They all uh, traced through Victoria, right? So they were all related. <laughs> so yeah. they all knew each other, and it and it and it does make you feel like this idea of this small group of aristocrats playing a game that is, you know, just resulting in thousands upon thousands of dead bodies being sent home. That for them it's a game, but for us the people on the ground it's reality and it's horror and they don't connect with that at all well yeah and that's and that's interesting thing they go back to a lot too is we have like um like Dirk, Dirk Bogart's character for example has that bit where they're talking he's talking to some lady and they're talking about like oh the 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 inconvenience that we must go through on a daily and like you yeah. know obviously not even regarding the soldiers or talking about them it's like oh they're so happy you should see them singing they're glad to be at war yeah, it's yeah. very like there's a there's a huge separation at richard attenborough is like clearly targeting these upper class bureaucrats politicians that and 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 there's so many like interesting things like i talk about like some of it's surreal there's that whole scoreboard motif yeah, where they're standing there, and in the background you see a scoreboard, and it literally says how many casualties they've had so far. And the most damning of it all is at one point it says like British casualties six hundred and fifty thousand, ground gained zero, zero yards. Yeah, so it's, I mean, like, it's like there's so many needless deaths. I mean, we don't need the movie to tell us this to know this, but I'm no. just saying. And uh, and Richard Attenborough doesn't spare some ire for Douglas Haig, who famously uh, also known as the Butcher of the Sum who was the guy that commanded the sum and sent so many British men to their death through the war. His legacy is complicated, and some people have reappraised it, I suppose, but traditionally Douglas Haig has been seen as a guy that 
wasted a lot of men in pursuit of uh, his objectives. And he's kind of reflected that way in this movie as being slightly out of touch. Yeah, uh, played here by uh, John Mills, who we've seen yes. in so many movies on this list. There's also, there's also, we got to talk about um, as a, as a kind of a, a metaphor, I guess. I don't know how you what, what word would be the best way to use this, but World War One is represented as like an amusement park, like, a, like so like it's a, a simile, like a Coney Island kind of thing, right? Remember, you, you said metaphor. Now you said like. It's, you're, what you mean is a simile. It's like. It's a. It's a. It's a <laughs> si- yes. simaphor. It's a. Yeah. It's a, a. Yeah. The Brighton is serving as a metaphor for the war. I guess that it's in this amusement park. And yeah, I mean, in, in the sense that yes, when this thing opens up, everybody's lining up and excited and happy yeah. and joyous and like yeah, we're gonna do this. And well, it's, and over time, they're literally going to war. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it says World War, world war one, one on the on the entrance of the, <laughs> Which I of love, the park. I love the idea of someone at that time calling the war World War One because that's yeah, a very that cynical too. thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, too, that I thought too. I was like, well, they certainly didn't call it that in 1914. <laughs> but but yeah, there's a World War One, and then and then you have these like these guys who are not getting involved in the battle. They're just kind of overseeing things. Yeah. Who are literally overseeing things from their ivory tower. Like yeah. it's literally like they're above it's the whole tower above the above the board. Up, walk, above you know. the boardwalk, above, above the pier, just looking at everything. You know, is that the same yes. boardwalk that was in yes. um, <laughs> everything? <laughs> everything we've seen, that's the same boardwalk. Okay, I'm trying to think of the movie though. It's uh, uh, Mona Lisa, Brighton, or the the one with Richard Attenborough. The, yeah, Brighton the, Rock, but it's also Mo- Mona Lisa. I think that yeah. the whole finale yeah. takes place there, right? Yes, absolutely. And co- I feel okay. like it shows up in a number of movies because it's such an iconic, uh, uh, you know, structure. <laughs> Yeah, and I, the thing is, I don't normally notice <laughs> locations showing up again unless it's like you know an obvious like feature of the world, like of the Great Wall of yeah. China or something. But well, it was funny because I noted early on. I even wrote it in my notes. Like I saw it when they were like going through the credits. It said filmed in Brighton. I thought, oh, Brighton, cool. I didn't realize that when they said filmed in Brighton, Brighton itself was going to be part of it. Like I thought that was just where they filmed it. But no, they actually use that seaside town and and that as the metaphor. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Interesting. Richard Attenborough, I salute you. Oh, we'll do it right now on, on camera. Okay. Done. Now we've got it. The audio recording of Jason saluting Richard Attenborough. That's going to be... I'm just sending that to the uh, Radio City Music Hall in New York Ooh. City. <laughs> New York City? And they're going to put some uh, some music over it and uh, pump up the troops. Jason, right. uh, thank you for your service. Happy to oblige. <laughs> um. Now, of course, this being a war movie, even though, you know, it is a musical, it's not necessarily a, a, a battle movie, I guess. No. You know, you're not seeing a bunch of battles. Actually, this movie, before I even get to that point, one one thing that really sticks out for me, it's interesting, is this is a movie in which no one actually dies on screen. Yeah. This is all, this is this movie is rated G. Yeah. I, I mean, suppose, 1969 yeah. rated G, so yeah. it probably would be like PG now because it's like literally the war is depicted. But it's, it's... a pretty sanitized version of World War One. Uh, I. I would say the most the most gruesome thing is when they when the uh, uh, commander is walking in the trench and he says, "What the devil is that?" And he goes, "Well, it's a leg, sir." He goes, "Well, the... get it out of here." Well, it's supporting. It's it's part of the support. <laughs> and then and then the, and then he tells him, "No, we'll get rid of it anyway." He goes, "Where am I going to hang my equipment now?" <laughs> Well, and that's another. We don't even see the leg. No, and that's again going back to the whole bureaucratic thing. It's like, well, it looks ghastly, and I don't like it. 
It's like, it doesn't matter why he it's also, there. He also comments, he's like, mm, smell, it smells, still smells like rotting corpses. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that guy, it's like, it's like, it's the, it's the, it's the separation where they don't yeah. understand. They're they're making decisions on things that they don't understand because they're not there. They're not there. And they're like, you know, Usually. oh, get rid of it. It doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? I'm telling you to get rid of it. Even if even if it doesn't make sense to get rid of it or if it's a waste of time to do what they're asking them to do, he's yeah. saying, I don't care. That leg is ghastly and it offends my moral fiber. Like, it's yeah. just like oh, – what I'm saying is like – it's interesting because, like the, the the showing no blood and showing no casualties and everything, it's very ties into like the joyous and jolly nature of the movie, and kind of supports like. It's kind of like well, we're not going to show it, but like it's it's yeah. again, it's something under the surface, just like the just like the movie's tone. It's like you know what's happening because yeah. they they mention it, mm -hmm. and you see the casualties scoreboard, and there's that scene where. Um, the guys keep running off, and every time they run off to go check something, yeah. the sergeant hands them a poppy. Yeah, and that becomes a motif throughout the movie that whenever you see a poppy, it indicates somebody is is died or is going yeah. to die. It's like whenever you see uh, red in that movie that I can't think of now. Well, I was thinking of like the oranges in uh, that's uh, yeah Godfather, yeah, or the X's in uh, Departed. Yeah, but maybe, but the, but the, yeah, the poppy like a little bit more obvious, just because it's an actual symbol of you know dead soldiers. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. Sorry, and what well, you you were gonna say something, sir? I also want to point out, like we talked about how the opening of this movie is very impressionistic, and it takes place in almost like a stage, but a lot of the scenes in this movie are legit outside. They've dug trenches. Like it's, I'm impressed with the production value of it. Like they did really try to make it look like, you know, a World War One on the cheap to some extent. You know, um, and we have that great scene where they come out of the trenches during the Christmas truce. They make reference to that where they start singing Christmas carols back and forth, which I've always heard was the story because the Germans were singing Christmas carols that were the same, like they the same music, just different words because they were in German. So like they'd start singing, you know, uh, Silent Night like they do in the movie. And then the guy, guys on the British side would kick in singing the English version and. Yeah, they eventually did come out and meet each other at various points along the line, and that lasted up to three days in some spots. And it's one of those bright spots, you know, from the war. It's such a great story, but, you know, it's a moment of humanity. These guys come out of the trenches for a day. You know, it, it, some places it was like we saw in the movie where they come out, they met, they shook hands, they exchanged some drinks and tobacco and stuff like that, and then had to go back. Other places, they they hung out for the day, they played soccer, they, you know, did whatever. And like I said, even in some places, they just didn't fight for three days. And yeah. obviously, high commands on both sides didn't like this <laughs> because and, they don't want them to see their enemies as human. <laughs> right. And keep in mind, this is uh, American and Germans World War One. Yeah. <laughs> don't know that this happened in the second one. No. Uh, well, no, probably sometimes. Uh, and I'm not saying, don't get, no, get me wrong, I'm not saying all German soldiers in World War II were full-blooded Nazis. But Nazi like, <laughs> psychotics. But no, but I mean, that stuff did happen for sure, but yeah. not like this, not like a Christmas truce. So, um, Jason, I just want to say I didn't even know this was, I thought this was totally uh, fantasy. Like, nope. I didn't know this this whole scene being based on reality. When I yeah. found that out after, I was blown away because I thought well, I this don't was know, like. Is, is, do you know if the film Joie Noël is on the war list? It is not. Okay, well, that might be one we have to watch at some point because it is a movie about the Christmas truce and uh, uh, what happened on that day. And it's like it's, to me, it's one of the most interesting and heartwarming stories of the war. Well, yeah, it's very humanistic. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that bit of the German guy being like, hey, I got a girlfriend back in Suffolk. Uh, I, could you send her a letter just to let her know that I'm alive and I'm here? Mm, and the guy's mm -hmm. like, yeah, give me the address. And he, you know, whether that ever happened or not, who knows, but... 
it's crazy Damn. if you think about it too, because you're like, okay, so they have this. They're on, they're in basically a no man's land. So it's Christmas truce. They're not. They're no, there's no shooting, no fighting. No, they're they're having a time together. Amer- uh, not Americans, sorry, Scottish and uh, yep. uh, Germans. And it like <laughs> the next day. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying this happened, but the next day or the next week, you could end up looking down the barrel of one of these guys yeah no the next day for sure once the once the hostilities resume because i think it was like one of those things like yeah artillery in the back they weren't part of it so if they were told to fire they'd fire and then and then it's on again you know i don't know like, can, can you imagine what that does to your psyche though like just you you were just having a chat with this person yeah the day and before then, and the next day you could be forced to shoot them you could be walking along through no man's land in an attack and look down and see the corpse of the guy you just shook hands with yesterday yeah but yeah or that guy again just like pointing his barrel at you like mm-hmm. I, it's it's a it's crazy i can i can oh this is gonna sound bad i could kind of understand the high command point of view on this though. no for sure like, like from uh, this is strictly dang- war fighting yes it is dangerous <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to do and, yeah. and also you're like well what if it's what if it's a trap like what if it's what if it's not yeah. uh what if they say it's a truce and it doesn't end up being that you know there's there's always a chance of that but also at the same time you're like oh well the real reason another reason they're saying you know, uh, d- this is bad. We don't like this. Is because they want to win a war. It's, well, it's, yeah, it's more for selfish reasons than anything else. The thing, the thing they're most afraid of is that they get out there in no man's land and they all go, "Wait a minute, what are we fucking doing?" Exactly. And they all just say, "Fuck it, we're not doing it." it exactly. <laughs> it's the whole idea where like divide and conquer. Yeah. Like, you know, if we if we get we got to make them hate each other, yeah. or else they're gonna see how stupid this war is. Absolutely, and how pointless and wasteful and just such a terrible thing like i mean that's the thing i mean world war ii for the most part was similar but you do have the moral justification it was not the thing that got Mm. us into the war but the fact that that the concentration camps were liberated you can at least look back and say well at least there was something good that came out of that yeah i mean you could argue that the rest of europe acted a lot quicker and more nobly but (laughs) well yeah but (laughs) well but then again nobody was too noble in that period because we all had quotas on jewish refugees didn't we (laughs) i i don't know we did and we turned away people because we alone and we have too many already. Sorry. Jason, again, I'm just going to stare at you blankly because uh, I don't know a lot about history for this stuff. Well, you're going to learn, Brendan, because we are going to watch 100 war movies. Well, <laughs> you're gonna we're going to do that, and then at the same time, we'll have to do uh, SNL movies so I could just tell you about the history of the show from year one to oh, now. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for It's Pat. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great film. Um yeah, so and then as the movie goes on, as we go further into the movie, it's still like pretty upbeat, but it does the songs do start to get a little slower, a little darker. The the lighting even changes a little bit, like the locations oh, yeah. change. Um the locations get more realistic. That there's that great there's that great sequence where there's like a puppet show. Mm, yes. This guy's putting on a puppet show and then as he like enters the scene as a puppet, um, it cuts and then we're on a stage and then it cuts again and now we're in a realistic looking trench yeah. and at war and that's such a it's such an interesting way to do it this movie just ta- makes so many it choices I didn't expect like this yeah. this movie's nothing like what I thought it was going to be no it's, it's a it's, it's a yeah exactly I it was not what I expected um yeah, the color thing I hadn't thought of, but yeah, you're right, because you think about it early on, we have so much color, all the uniforms, all the pageantry. We have that scene on the Brighton Beach where everybody's out in their swimwear and then the, the Coldstream guards or whoever come along and are playing you know music and everybody's running alongside and waving their flags and it's so beautiful and colorful. And then, yeah, by the end of it, it's just all browns and, and olive drab and, and just 
you know. And the very last scene of the movie is green and white because it's the grass and it's the crosses. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second because yeah. that's that's out of everything in the movie. Even if even if someone were to watch this entire movie and be like, "What a slog!" There's no denying that the powerful yeah. nature of those last few minutes. Yeah. Um, but we should probably talk about the because uh, I one scene that really stuck up for me is the is the recruitment concert, I guess, yes. with Maggie Smith looking yes. very fetching. Mm. Dame Maggie Smith, yes. uh, just. Great singer. Um, What's that? <laughs> Great singer too. Oh, and just like openly saying that if you go to war, I'm gonna sleep with you. <laughs> like uh, if you, because what is it? If if you, if you take the king's shilling, meaning you you join up and get paid, and yeah, I'll make a man out of you. And then she's going through the song just... about how every day she's with a different serviceman. Oh yeah, she's basically <laughs> like her song is basically just about like whoring herself out to yeah. the soldiers. But that was, and again, that was the sort of stuff in in the yeah. music halls and vaudeville that was being seen by audiences and being ignored by the media. <laughs> because but it, it was you wouldn't hear that on the radio or in the newspaper. Well, but doesn't it also kind of stand in as like a, a the aggressive way in which soldiers were recruited as yeah. well? Oh, like, absolutely. It was a combination of like that, like a sex appeal and, you know, getting people to join up, but also uh, the use of shame, which we don't see as much, mm. but it's implied. Like, well, you know, you got to join up and be a man. There you know? is a little bit. There is a little bit because she does. She does several times. She's like, you know, don't you want to make your girlfriend proud? Like, don't you want to bring yeah. bring pride to your home? Like there's stuff like that. And it's just so it's just so heartbreaking because you're seeing this and you're like so many if not all of the people in this scene never made it home like that yeah. this was they were they were coaxed into a war that would the high command knew that there would be like ridiculous level of casualties because it just d- didn't matter so much they, as you long think, as they got what they wanted you think of how many people like that was the lost generation in France. They lost so many people. It affected their population like it was yeah you think of how many young men died and how much potential in that in that body of men uh, and women to some extent, but in uh, the civilians and everything, but how much potential was lost in that war, the 60 million people or whatever that died, like how many great things could have come from those people. And yet now we'll never know on an average, Jason. And I know this is going to be different depending on the battles and when they mm-hmm. were and everything, but an average of 6,000 dead soldiers every day. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. It was, you know, and it was part of that World War thing of it was the technology, the tactics had yet to catch up to the technology. And it really was only at the end of the war when the technology and the tactics finally started to solidify where we started having small group, you know, group infantry tactics that the Canadians pioneered. And then, of course, the tanks was the big, big factor of allowing breakthroughs finally. And, and, well, he, and let us not forget the million plus American troops that came in fresh to help us win. I, we can't I lo- we can't ignore that. Well, and I love how this movie shows that in the yeah. last 15 minutes, which is very <laughs> apropos. Yeah. Because in both wars, they joined fairly late. Well, now, let's, let's, let's right? be fair. No, no. World War II, they came in 1941. That was only two years into the war. But, but still later than everyone, a lot of other countries. Yes. Now, to be fair, to, and again, to be fair to the United be States, fair. always to be, be fair, I want to be fair to our American allies, they weren't just sitting idly by. They were supplying Britain with material in World War One and Two. They mm-hmm. were they were neutral in World War One technically, but they were supporting the Allies the entire time, and that reflected on the fact they joined the war on their side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the Americans you make jokes, but without them, I don't think we would have won either war. 
No, certainly, but I'm just saying it's 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 funny how the movie has them yeah. coming in at the last second, all <laughs> yeah. heroic, like we're here like, to oh, save look, the, the Americans, and then they come in, and it's that it's one of my favorite songs, the over there, over there, send the word, send the word over there, you know, like this, yeah, and they're just like, marching in. It's great. <laughs> like this would be a scene that Ke- that Kevin Klein's character from Fish Called Wanda would watch unironically and just yeah. love. Yeah, you exactly. know what I mean? Like you know, we saved your ass in WW2 kind of thing yeah. or WW1. I, which, by the way, always my favorite. One of my favorite. I say this for every joke on the Simpsons. One of my favorite jokes on the Simpsons when Homer says to in the future episode when Homer says to Lisa's fiance, "Hey, we saved your ass in World War II," and he goes, "Yes, but we saved yours in World War Three." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. Yeah. So the Americans come in. Uh. So yeah. So so the aggressive recruiting, like you know, Maggie Smith is like, "Come up, I'll fuck you," and you go to war. I mean, I yeah. really would have fallen for that. I mean, you know, nineteen fourteen. You know, it was a different time. Um, and then the other thing they do, because uh, again, this is a war movie, so there's not like a ton of female characters. Maggie Smith has a has a, a fun performance, but we get a bit of the uh, suffragettes too. We see a little bit of that as well. Yeah. Um, uh, protesting the war, and I think that's one of the first times we really get a real strong pushback in this movie on the idea of the war. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay, hold on, now we're getting a bit a bit more serious. Um, yeah, and and to be a suffragette and anti-war at that time was a tough position to be in, and it's reflected by the crowd that is uh, around her, catcalling and making insults and and mm-hmm. just being generally uh, dismissive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, I believe it's, uh, God, is it Vanessa Redgrave that plays her? I think, she, I think Vanessa Redgrave is playing the one who's, uh, the, the head, the suffragette who's doing the, uh, yes, she is. It's Vanessa Redgrave, because, which is funny because she later became very vocal on stuff like that, like, or, yeah. you know, protesting, or even at the time, I would, I would think, because this was 1969, but famously, um, her the whole Oscar situation where she talked about uh, some some uh, dictator I forget his name uh, Franco n- F- Dave Franco yes yes famous dictator Dave Franco no it was um oh Jesus I'll, I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna I'm gonna find it out here it's um uh da, 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 da. she was in a controversial documentary movie called The Palestinian. And she was a uh, Yasser Arafat. That's that's what it was. Oh, uh, well, I wouldn't that, call Arafat a dictator. That's a no, no, sorry. stretch, but <laughs> again, guys, disclaimer, I don't know shit about this shit. But but there was she had a connection with some connection with Yasser Arafat and she got in trouble with some uh, anti defamation league stuff uh, at the time at the Oscars. There was a big thing about it. She got booed and everything. But um uh she uh so she she familiar with this kind of like you know aggressive uh opposition is what i'm saying yeah. um yeah. and and her scene there it, i think her scene it, it feels really real to me and i was like why does it feel so real i'm like oh it's vanessa redgrave yeah. she's done this before and it was something that was happening at that time for sure like the suffragettes were, were were fighting for the right to vote across the world in the empire and um a lot of them were anti-war and yeah. actually, it was interesting, too, that one of them, uh, I think one of the science said something like nonviolent suffragettes. Uh, and it was, you know, trying to, much like today with many social movements where any violence done is, like, amplified as, as representative of the entire movement. And you had people like, uh, uh, well, there were suffragettes that had done bombings and terrorist acts and things like that. But 
these ones were trying to make it clear. No, we're the peaceful ones. <sighs> I love how they even get the church involved at one point. There's a there's a whole interfaith session mm. where um, so, uh, I I love the line. I think it's I don't know if it's one of the priests or preachers or whatever but he says tomorrow being good friday we hope god will look kindly on our attack <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like it's very like uh, okay we're using <laughs> we're using the church to 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 back up these like well, horrible things yeah and there's that fun which to never me, happens in history no never never there's also a hilarious moment to me where uh uh sir douglas Haig is uh, uh kneeling and praying to god and he's like he's like giving god like the breakdown of the battle and the casualty counts <laughs> It's like, right. dude, I think he knows. <laughs> I think he's aware. <laughs> well, and there's all there's also all these like religious blessings that they're like, and they're they're saying like, you know, oh, and don't don't worry, you can eat meat on Friday, and you guys, you can. Yes. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so we have a dispensation for the Jews to eat pork in the trenches, uh, and then there's that point where dude's being hauled out on a stretcher, and he's super injured, and the nurses are taking him, and the guy and the officer leans down to him and says, "Don't worry, son, we'll get you back to the front in no time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 elite in this movie are very very tone deaf. Yeah, well, um, like much of British history. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we should talk about the last bit because again this movie's very long we, mm. we d- absolutely can't talk about everything I mean, and it's not really a plot so much as uh, we do have kind of central characters in the smith family which sort i just want to mention quickly because yeah. while they are kind of the central characters of the movie i couldn't really generally tell one from the other or no. notice who they were and where <laughs> i okay this was such an all-star cast but like a lot of times i didn't know who i didn't know that it was that particular person. Like they yeah. all pretty much disappear into these roles. Jason, yeah. I just want to tell you this, the Smith family almost played by the Beatles. Yeah. I read that. That sounds insane. Uh, but I could see why they might want to do that. But in, in retrospect, it's probably good. They didn't. I don't know if I want to hear the Beatles doing war songs. I mean, I do, I th- but I mean, I think it would have been very distracting. Yeah, it would have been for sure. Um, but the you thing would, about- but, but then again, you would not forget who the no. Smiths were. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, yeah, exactly. You would it, Maybe it would have been helpful, actually, in that sense. Um, <laughs> but this movie doesn't really have a plot other than the war. It, it follows yeah. the broad strokes of the war, um, although not everything, because we, we literally see one plane in the movie. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. see anything of the air war other than that one plane flying overhead and everybody cheering. No, um, and, again, and again, you don't actually see any combat, no. which... Um, Spoiler well, regarding our next list that we're going to cover, and maybe one of the dominating factors why this isn't on that list because the list that we're going to cover, every movie has to have at least some combat scenes. So yes, that's um that's probably something that would leave this kind of in the dust. Yes, but um there's also just this, so so the the ending as we round up to the end, we see all the the troops that have died, and there's a huge shot. It starts very small where you see. Mm. Is it is it Douglas Haig that's in the field at the end, or is it is no, it uh, no, it's Lawrence a, Olivier? No, Douglas Haig is an old guy. No, you mean the, the young soldier that gets he he because we see him in the field. He's walking along, and then we hear a gunshot, and we see a it's poppy, Jack Smith, and then this guy wanders out into a field, and he sees some of the other soldiers there, yes. and he lays down in the grass with them, and they all look very relieved and restful, and then they disappear, and yeah, then we yes. see the ladies. Uh, and the little girl, what did daddy do during the war? And then it pulls out and we see just row upon row of crosses that and, fills the screen. Oh, yeah. It's so much so that by the time we're done 
zooming out or panning back. It's like it's like you can't even tell that they're crosses anymore. Like there's yeah. so many, there's so many, and it's and like you said, the most effective part of that is you see some of the soldiers laying there that fa- like literally dissolve, like the, the their images dissolve into the crosses. Into crosses, yeah. It's it's like oof, a real I, a real good moment to end on in a movie like this to drive home the fact that this thing cost a lot. Uh, yes, I don't I don't know if I have the numbers. I don't have the numbers for this. I, this is one of those ones that I wasn't able to find the budget or, or oh, how no, much no. it made. I, but... I meant the war. I'm oh. talking like the war cost a lot. In I thought you meant it was an expensive. And... Oh, expensive I'm sure shop. it was. I mean, that would have been a pain in the ass. I'm sure to set up all those crosses, but. Jason, I think that's our podcast in a nutshell just now. You're talking about real uh, numbers, and I'm talking about like, well, the budget well, of this movie office. was... Well, let's check that out. Let's check out my box office mojo tells me that, oh, what a lovely war opened opposite Dumb and Dumber 2. That was oh. silly. <laughs> What'd they expect? Well, I guess they had different uh, different audiences. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so it's really it is really hard to kind of get into a lot of it. Like I said, there's a lot of like metaphorical stuff. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of like similes, <laughs> a lot of uh big broad musical numbers that represent whatever. Mm. Um, and so it's just uh, it's just it is kind of what it is to, as a cop out, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you watch it, you enjoy the songs, you get a very vague, brief overview of World War One, and it's very entirety. vague but very long, <laughs> very long. Uh, not as long as the war. That was four years, but uh, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, that episode would take a while before, it, take before a while, it's yeah. going a real, up. Yeah. A real-time musical about World War One. <laughs> Jesus. My arch nemesis. We're marching Your off arch nemesis. to Mons. We're marching off to Mons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seven movies, or seven movies worth later, you might get, like, one shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Man, my. a real-time World War One musical does not sound like a fun time. Um, but Jason, any other big uh, kind of overarching, broad, generalized things you want to say about, oh, what a lovely wall. I think it'll come up in the bits and bobs, Brendan. All right. Well, we'll be uh, right back then with uh, bits and bombs. It's a long way to Age of Radio unless you use a web browser. So go ahead and type Age of Radio into a web browser now then follow up with dot org so you know where you're gonna go and then add in a slash for screen and country and pleasure will be yours It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Kaboom! Bits and bombs. Kaboom! Bits and bombs. It's time for bits. And by bits, I mean human bits from the bombs. That's why it's bits and bombs. It's okay, Jason. It's not too soon. It's been like over a hundred years. So we can talk about body bits in World War One. They're all dead, even if they didn't die at the time. And most of their sons are probably past too. World War One. Oh, what a lovely war. Read us your bits and bombs. Interestingly, my my grandmother, who is in her mid nineties, I would say at this point, her father was a soldier in World War One, and he was in the Tunneling Corps. And oh. I I don't know a whole lot about him, but I found his name mentioned in dispatches because he and his unit spent twenty four hours behind enemy lines. I don't know why, don't know what they were doing, but they were mentioned in dispatches because they 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 were there and then they got back. So I I thought for a second you were going to say. Well, I don't know why, but I, I I heard his name mentioned in the movie. He was played by John Gilgood. I thought that <laughs> oh, was if weird. Only. <laughs> oh, if only. Um, I like the ragtime uh, long way to Tipperary that opens the movie. I, I, mm. I, I enjoy that. I love an attitude piano. I'm like Rolf that way. Every time um, I hear it, I think it's going to be, uh, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. If you want to rock and roll. Uh, I, I always love a good joke about Germans. So when uh, the guy says to the Germans, still expanding your army and navy, and his reply of, we like to keep busy, it made me laugh very hard. <laughs> Uh, I like that uh, Colin Farrell was apparently in this movie. Yes, yes. The uh, very, very... Uh, <laughs> vampiric. Vampiric Colin Farrell. So good for him for sticking around. I, I looked at the picture because I was curious about that. I saw his name and I was like, "Who the? what the hell? And I looked on Letterboxd and I... If, I could just tell. I can just tell you right now. It is most assuredly not Colin Farrell. Okay, he's not <laughs> the, a vampire. The least Colin Farrell with the name Colin Farrell I've ever seen. All right. Um, I don't know if you noticed Nicholas too. Uh, the the Czar uh, of Russia. His the sequel accent. To Nicholas? Huh? The sequel to Nicholas? Yes, <laughs> the sequel to Nicholas. Nicholas II. Um, yep. His accent was as suspect as his beard. I don't know what accent he was doing. It certainly wasn't Russian. And that beard was stuck on with spirit gum. It was pretty clear. Thankfully, he wasn't in it long. Um, <laughs> I like the, uh, uh, the... So we talked about that little, like, marionette play. I like mm-hmm. the fact that the... So the French soldiers in that are wearing, like, silver breastplates. I can assure you, I'm pretty sure that the cavalry in World War One didn't wear silver breastplates. But... Like, their uniforms are not that far off. Like, the French guys early on in the war wore, like, blue pants and red caps and uh, uh, were very, like, they stood out a lot. Like, they, they mm-hmm. that was traditional kind of French wear. And, you know, as the war progressed, everybody kind of eventually just settled into camo because they realized it was more uh, useful to be wearing brown in the mud than uh, bright colors. Save that for the officers, my friend. Let them get sniped. Um, Always with the hot takes on this show, Jason. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I like the bit of the, we have the canary in the trench to check for gases because if the canary dies, well, everybody put their gas masks on. Uh, there was a song about getting gassed or gassing people. That was fun. Uh, whiz bangs. They mentioned whiz bangs. So I had to look up what a whiz bang was, Brennan. Mm-hmm. A whiz bang was a type of artillery shell that the Germans used that could, that was, that would go faster than the speed of sound. So oh, what would sure. happen is you would hear the whiz of the shell then you would hear the bang of the gun. So there was almost no warning to those shots. Because usually, because normally you would hear the guns and then you would know the shells were incoming, but those boys know. You hear the whiz first. <laughs> By the way, I just put in the chat the uh, on Skype the picture of uh, this Colin Farrell. Oh, let me check here. Let me see this guy. 
just to give you an idea that he's very much not oh. Colin Farrell. Oh, okay. So he was uh, Smith, one of the Smiths. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. No, that guy is that guy does not look like Colin Farrell in the least. Although apparently also Irish, and apparently also in a bridge too far. So we might we're Ooh. we're going to see him again at some point. Very nice. That one, Sean Connery. Come on. And the land that time forgot, whatever Operation that is. Operation Market Garden, babe. That's not so. That doesn't work out so great. <laughs> Did Dennis Miller direct a bridge too far? Not Richard Attenborough. <laughs> yes. Hey, I was the I was the guy in Jurassic Park, babe. Remember me? I owned the park. <laughs> um, what else we got here? Oh, suffragettes, whiz bangs, uh, such horror under everything. Hag was a butcher. Bobby's a blind death. I wrote down that Britain, I think, receives the most piss-taking. They do receive a lot of piss-taking, and deservedly so. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. But I, I, love, mean, I love how it's it's kind of like America, though, where, like, there's so many... No, I'm, I'm not going to say anti-America, because f- fuck, it's deserved yeah, in a lot of cases, but yeah. there's a lot of people, there's a lot of American filmmakers that make movies pointing out very shitty things about America, yeah, and yeah. I feel like I, nev- I never really knew... Uh, before going through these lists, but that Britain does it just oh, as much. Britain loves it, uh, uh, much to the chagrin of the aristocracy sometimes. But yeah, British comedy has always been pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and yes, drama, horror, like everything. Over I mean, there. fuck, we saw In the Loop. That's just a prime example of the brutality of British comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget that other movie um, about unions that I'm not. Oh, I don't. Uh, I'm all right, Jack. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes. Classic. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I've got um, about this. I was happy well, to see the Yankees at the end, and I like that guy's uh, doughboy hat with the captain's uh, bars on it. That looked cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll see if I have a- anything here. I-, I just noted that this movie was like a musical education of World War One. Yeah. Um, I said Lawrence Olivier was damn near unrecognizable as an old mm-hmm. man, but then I looked it up, and he was 62 at the time, so yeah. I guess he was kind of an old man. He wasn't that far off from doing Boys from Brazil. Or uh, the classic uh, remake of The Jazz Singer with Neil Certainly. Diamond. Oh, he was in that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> that's that's the famous quote where he was he was in a uh, restaurant and someone heard him complaining about the script and said, this this piss is shit. <laughs> what a way with words, um, Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> one of the songs I, I, I really wanted to mention, too, is when they sing, We're Here Because We're Here. Yeah. Uh, which is that man if you want to talk about a song that just uh, encompasses everything and it and it's to the tune of auld lang syne as well which i thought was uh interesting i i now brendan i've never been in the military but i was in the boy scouts in a period where we dressed like we were in the military because we all had berets for some reason right uh but uh we used to sing shit like that like when you were just waiting around you would sing some song like that just to fucking pass the time or and and mm-hmm. in war, as you know, as the old saying goes, you know, war is is mostly boredom punctuated by moments of terror, and that's for what those guys were. It was a lot of just sitting around and waiting. Yeah. And so you sang. Um, I said, there's a lot of moments where uh, you get to the end of a big boisterous musical number. There's that one on the merry-go-round yes. where everyone is like, and then it turns into real horses and everything. But I wrote down that all these big boisterous numbers. The thing that really works is when there's like a somber reality at the end of it, like it just creeps right in. You yeah. know. I wrote down this movie is too long. Yes. Regardless of my opinion Agreed. of it, it's too long. Too long. Musicals, guys, shorten them up. They don't need to be three hours long. I mean, I've seen some good. I've seen some. I've seen a few really good long musicals, but this in particular uh, started to feel a bit draggy. Yeah, it, it definitely like like it, it starts grand, like it it is really going there. But yes, in the back half, it does drag. Again, I'm willing to forgive it because the war dragged. But as a as a cinematic fan, it's like let's tighten it up a bit. 
And my last note is uh, the scene in which uh, one of the one of these sergeants is I think it's Olivier who's panicking about the king um, having having a horse ride and it was a little bit bumpy and he's worried that he's going to get blamed for it. Ah, uh, yes. He's worried about the terrain um, well, for this it, king's bumpy horse ride. Is it? Yeah, because doesn't he talk? Because didn't he talk about uh, getting the king thrown from the horse or something? Or was that Haig? I can't remember. It's one of the I, yeah. again. Olivier just I didn't recognize him. Everyone's yeah. good in the movie, but I just yeah. I, faces just okay. So much it, going on and so many people. It's hard to keep white, track. A lot of white people. It's hard. A lot to, of white people. A lot of mustaches. I mean, Edward very... Fox is in this, and he he has. I didn't even mention him, but he has yeah. a few brief, uh, interesting moments as like the the aide to. Uh, I think he's the aide to um, Hag. Okay. Um, yeah, he is. He's the aide to Field Marshal Hag. Yeah. But that's all the notes I have. Those are all the bits and bombs that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep leaning into that, Jason, forever. <laughs> um, I guess I'm trying to see if I have anything about the a little bit of trivia. But I will say that the final scene uh, with all the crosses involved the placing of over sixteen thousand individual crosses wow. on the Sussex Downs. Each cross had to have a hole dug uh, for it in order to hold it steady in the ground to stop it from falling or being blown over. And the final track back from the graves shot from a helicopter had to be done several pr- times due to problems with high winds and camera shake. Can you imagine, like, okay, we got to adjust those 487 crosses, like, every time. <laughs> like that. Oh, oh yeah. Brutal. It did helicopter. You have to keep it high enough so it's not blowing the crosses over. <laughs> um, the Christmas Day truce scenes where they're all, like, it, yeah. it's, like, freezing and snowy and everything. Midsummer. Uh, one of the hottest days of the year. Wow. Temperatures in the 90s Fahrenheit. That's crazy. Just wearing full heavy winter costumes. Must have just had the ground coated in asbestos. Oh, oh <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. yeah, they flew it in from the Conqueror. It was yeah. great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the trench scenes were all shot at the Brighton Municipal Rubbish Dump. Uh, oh. So the, so the whole time they're doing it, the actors and the crew just complained about the smell of the, yeah. of the dump, which, again, that hot summer weather. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? It probably smelled worse on that Western Front, so suck it up. And I will say, yeah, I will say that the 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 last thing I want to mention, we didn't even talk about the movie depicted the Archduke Ferdinand dying at the beginning yes. and his wife. Um, at the beginning, they just give the photographer just give there's a photographer and he just gives them poppies and then they just fall over. Yeah. So I guess technically somebody dies on screen. That's a shame because that the actual story of his death is far more interesting and would be a great movie probably of its own. Yeah. Um, this movie though, uh, very well received or. Fairly well received, has an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, New York Times called it a big, elaborate, sometimes realistic film whose elephantine physical proportions and often brilliant all-star cast simply simply overwhelmed the material with a surfeit of good intentions. I told you that e- Siskel and Ebert loved it and gave it four out of four stars. Uh, the LA Times said what noted British actor Richard Attenborough in a dazzling directorial debut and his principal writers have done is to transform the highly political and one-dimensional Joan Littlewood theater piece into timeless and painfully timely tragic allegory. Um, but some people weren't as hot on it. Uh, the Washington Post said the, con- the conception is intriguing, but the film turns into an infernal precision machine as one big production number succeeded the other and one perfectly measured and symmetrical tableau faded into the next. I began to feel stupefied rather than touched. The physical production was rolling over the songs, the characters, and the vignettes. Um, and uh, yeah, so it wasn't super well received. I mean, no, sorry, it was well received, but just obviously it had its uh, a few critics here and there. Um, the Toronto Star actually received complaints from veteran organizations because their advertisement for the film featured that character standing in all the crosses. Mm. Um, and later they kind of ran the advertisements without the image because that was a little a little dicey to run in 1969. 
uh, to promote a film. No Oscars. Sorry. No, no Oscars. <laughs> I wrote down. Okay, Jason. Sometimes I forget to erase my notes from the last <laughs> movie, and I wrote down that this was nominated for best adapted screenplay, with the winner being Precious, which is clearly not true. <laughs> um, it was a real it, stealth nomination that year. <laughs> no Oscars. It was released forty years later. Um, but at the BAFTAs, I'll just go through this briefly because I know you're on a time crunch, but I'm going to go through it briefly, Jason. At the BAFTAs is nominated for Best Editing, goes to Midnight Cowboy. Best Supporting Actress for Mary Wimbush goes to Celia Johnson for a movie called The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Richard Attenborough, Best Direction, goes to John Schlesinger for Midnight Cowboy. And Best Film goes to Midnight Cowboy. But it does win something called a United Nations Award. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It wins Best Sound, Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Cinematography, and Best Actor for Laurence Olivier. Wow. Um, no info on the budget, no info on the box office. That is a, what a lovely war. Jason, what did you think of this movie? That's I really list. liked it. I really liked it, Brennan. It was too long, and if you could cut out some of the back end of it, I think it would be a much better movie. But I was surprised because I dreaded going into this because <laughs> I thought, uh, musical. War. I love war movies, but musicals are so hit and miss. What are they going to do? Is it going to be like just like – but it, it must be good because some people seem to like it. But then I saw it. It was like, yeah, this is great. I love the songs. I love the fact that it was songs of the era because I know a lot of those songs. And I was so happy to hear them. I love seeing the production. There's so few World War One movies in comparison to World War Two, So I'm always happy to see a World War One movie. I think this is – I'm going to have to give this a yes. I think this should be on the list. I think we need a musical. And I think we need a representation of World War One. And this is such a great cast of, of, of all our old friends. So it's nice to see them in there. And yeah, absolutely. Should be on our new list okay um i did like this movie quite a bit uh this is uh, again an interesting way to just approach this subject matter in in general um the i've never quite seen a musical like this i think they kind of reminded me a little bit for some reason of distant voices still lives mm-hmm. okay just the way all those all those songs in that movie the, with that movie wasn't really like a musical but there was a lot of singing and all the yeah. songs were like traditional yeah. songs where we saw like the evolution of the family mm-hmm. and everything um so something like that kind of uh, as far as being on the list though i don't know yeah i don't know i get what you're saying we need a we certainly would like we would be good to have a musical um, on there and certainly uh, a movie about World War One, but I don't know if this is the one. I, it's a maybe. It's a maybe, maybe for me. For I'm not sure. All right. I'm not sure. But so I'm going to have to yes, make a decision. One maybe. We're gonna have to, I'm going to have to make a decision on that soon, though, because, Jason, next week, that's it. We are going to give our final versions of this list. We are going to tell you. Well, we're not going to read all of them, but no. we're going to tell you what's been given the boot. What's been added? We're going to go through the British movies we've seen since talking about the BFI list. And we're going to do that for you next week. And then the following week, we are going to introduce our new list, the war movies, the 100 greatest war movies of all war time. But Jason, until then next week, when we uh, rank these movies and do a little do a little dance make a little love um i just want to tell everyone that they can find us all over social media you can go to uh facebook uh find us there you can also find us at ageofradio.org slash for screen and that's our podcast home base you can also if you don't want to use a website you can find us on any podcast app uh you can also uh find us on twitter at fsac pod whatever twitter is these days uh fsac pod as in for screen and Gunter podcast jason you are on twitter i am over there i'm at jason d mcleod that's m-a-c-l-e-o-d stop on by 
There you go. So with all that being said, Jason, I will give you the floor and I will let you wrap things up here. Well, folks, it's it's been a it's been a journey. We're excited where we're going. So before we go, though, I just have to say to you, Brendan, mm. God save the king. Jason and I have been having a fling. Oh, my. I can't wait to hear about that. And for Screen and Country, I'm Jason. And I'm Brendan. Ooh, we're going to have some fun tonight. Oh, what a lovely penis. Oh,